Good evening. Uh, will you pray with me? Father God, let your Holy Spirit reveal to us the truth of your gospel in our text tonight. Lord, to borrow from the psalm of your beloved David, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For we pray this for the glory and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we uh, welcomed the new year this past week, many of us likely took stock of the events of 2018 and assessed the good and the bad in our lives. Maybe we weighed uh, our actions or inactions over the previous year, our decisions or indecisions, our thoughts or lack of thoughtfulness. As we reflected, we likely made resolutions aimed at changing some of our behaviors or habits in the hope of improving those things we perceive as wrong in our lives. According to my knowledgeable friend Google, the top three New Year's resolutions made by Americans or, uh, in 2018 were one, eat healthier, two, exercise more, and three, save more money. Interestingly, if you look at the top resolution for the past few years, you'd see that the same three are at the top of the list in varied ranked orders year after year. These surveys seem to indicate that those of us making such resolutions, myself included, aren't having too much success keeping them. To be clear, caring for our health through diet and exercise and stewarding our finances with integrity and prudence is wise and good. Honesty requires, however, that we admit that we lack the strength of will to fulfill our plans. And even when we have the willpower, events outside of our control can and often do complicate and prevent our success. Sadly, our best and most resolute efforts to build ourselves up and to improve our lives, our families, our communities, our nation, or our world simply fall short time and again. This reality can tempt us to despair of our weakness. And if you feel that way tonight, or have in the past, I hope that you will join me in finding great comfort tonight in the Bible's commendation of Rahab the prostitute, who had the opportunity to take stock of her wayward ways, her life in the ancient walled city of Jericho, and realize that she could not improve or save herself. No, Rahab's story is not an inspiring tale of the triumph of the human spirit. And her story does not prove the erroneous man-centered slogan, God helps those who help themselves. Rahab did not rely on her strength or her willpower or her wits. Instead, Rahab trusted in Yahweh, the God of Israel, to save her and her family from the destruction of their city. In this way, her story is but part of God's big story, revealed in the whole Bible, that salvation, that is, humanity's rescue from the curse of sin and death, comes from God alone. In her story, we see the shadows of the gospel, the good news that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live for all who would ever repent and put their, uh, repent from their sins and place their faith in him for righteousness. This is the hope and good news you should listen for tonight. The Old Testament book of Joshua recounts Rahab's story, though she is commended in three brief but significant verses in the New Testament. And it's from one of these that we will study tonight. 
So please uh, join me in turning to the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 31. If you're following along in the Bible provided, you'll find this verse on page 1008. As you turn there, let me briefly summarize the events of Joshua, Joshua chapters 2 and 6, where we find the full account of Rahab and the demise of Jericho. Joshua's, Joshua, Israel's leader, records Israel's arrival in this land of Canaan, and it caused great fear in Jericho, because its inhabitants heard how Yahweh had powerfully rescued the Israelites from Egypt, and how he gave them devastating military victories over other kingdoms. Joshua sent two spies into Jericho, and while there, they hid in the house of Rahab the prostitute, who boldly protected them from discovery by the soldiers of Jericho. She also boldly pleaded for the spies to swear by the name of the Lord that she and her family would be spared when the city was destroyed. The spies agreed, and she helped them escape by lowering them out through a window. Anticipating Israel's attack, Jericho's king desperately sealed the gates of the walled city. God, however, had a very unique battle plan. He commanded Israel to march silently around the wall once per day for six days, and then on the seventh day to do so six times, and then blow the trumpets and make a loud shout, after which the walls would collapse. The Israelites were then told to destroy all living in the city with the exception of Rahab and her family. That was what God instructed, and that is what they did. With this overview in mind, let us now examine our text under two headings. One, judgment to the disobedient, and two, salvation to the faith-filled. Please follow along as I read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith... Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Let's consider our first point, judgment to the disobedient. The verse makes clear that God indeed succeeded in his plan to destroy all inhabitants of Jericho. Does his judgment against the city seem harsh to you? If it does, remember that the good news must first come with the acknowledgement of the bad news, that all humanity has rebelled against God and earned his righteous judgment of death. This bad news is proclaimed in tandem with the good news at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3. And it's important to understanding Jericho's destruction. You see, in the beginning, God made all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days, and all very good. When he created the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, God graciously provided all they would need for life and joy and gave them dominion over the rest of the creation. But he commanded under penalty of death that they submit to his perfect, loving, righteous, and holy rule. Sadly, Adam and Eve believed the lies of Satan and rejected God's authority, seeking a false liberty to decide right and wrong for themselves. They immediately realized their sin, and attempted to construct a wall between themselves and God's judgment. They did so by hiding amongst the trees and covering their physical and spiritual nakedness with a barrier of fig leaves sewn together. Like many of our New Year's resolutions, these efforts 
to fix their lives were fruitless. And as humanity's first parents, Adam and Eve, passed this rebellious, sinful streak and the penalty of death on to all their descendants. This brings us back to Rahab's story. The Bible notes that the inhabitants of Jericho and the surrounding lands of Canaan were particularly heinous in their rebellion against God. They practiced idolatry, including the horrid practice of child sacrifice. Sexual immorality was rampant and celebrated, including adultery, rape, homosexuality, incest, and bestiality, all practices utterly condemned by God. Rahab intimately knew the sins of Jericho, both as a perpetrator and as a victim. As a prostitute, she served, uh, she perverted the good gift of marital relations by giving her body to strangers for money. These strangers perverted the same good gift by abusing her as an object for their pleasure. The wickedness of the people of Jericho did not escape God's view. They truly earned God's coming judgment. Rahab, by God's grace, understood this. But even as she did, she wanted dearly to avoid it. But what refuge would she find? Well, just as she intimately knew the, city of, uh, the sin of the city, Rahab intimately knew its wall. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 15, uh, it's recorded that she lived so far on the outskirts of the city that her house was built into the wall so that she lived in the wall. Jericho's inhabitants hoped in terror, that, uh, in terror-filled desperation, that the wall would provide refuge against God's assault, protection for their sinful way of life. But Rahab, by God's grace, knew the works of man's hands, including Jericho's famed wall, were sinfully flawed and could not stand against God's judgment. In Joshua 2, verse 8, she declared destruction as certain, saying to the spies, I know that Yahweh has given you the land. You see, she understood that the wall was not her refuge, but her prison. Indeed, the wall imprisoned all of Jericho's people as they awaited God's judgment. My unbelieving friend, I must ask, what walls are you hiding behind? What do you believe will make you safe on the day of judgment? Do you hide behind good works? Consider that the Bible tells us in Isaiah 64, verse 6, that we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Do you hide behind modern medicine and health regimens to preserve your life and escape death? The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 7, that all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Do you hide behind a strong financial portfolio to secure your future? The Bible tells us in Proverbs 11, verse 4, that riches are worthless on the day of wrath. Do you hide behind actual walls, home security systems, national defenses, or weapons to protect yourself and your family? The Bible tells us in Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Children, youth, I ask you the same. What walls are you hiding behind? Are you hiding behind your parents' faith? 
To be clear, God does not have grandchildren. Salvation is not inherited by being born into a Christian family. We can't protect you. Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Or are you hiding behind your youth? Well, if you're old enough to say, but I'm just a kid, then you're clearly old enough to make excuses and rationalizations for your sins, just like Adam, who blamed Eve, and Eve, who blamed Adam, or excuse me, blamed the serpent. You see, just as the presumably strong and sturdy walls of Jericho crumbled at God's righteous judgment, so will any man-made or man-conceived barrier. So then what can stand? What is our hope? Our hope must be the same as Rahab's. And that brings us to our next point, salvation to the faith-filled. As we consider this, let's again read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. In verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11, the author explains that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Rahab hoped for salvation and believed because she was certain that the God of Israel, Yahweh, was the only one who could and would save her. Hebrews 11 chapter 6, uh, excuse me, chapter 11 verse 6 further notes that without faith it's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to him must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Joshua's account proves Rahab's claim to faith. She proclaimed Israel's God as God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And her friendly welcome to the spies demonstrated her faith in and faithfulness to Israel's God, not the king of Jericho. In her bold plea to the, to the spies for mercy to her and her family, Rahab declared her sure hope not only that the Lord would prevail over Jericho, but that the Lord would meet her repentance and reliance on him with the reward of pardon. In this, Rahab pleased God and lived. Now you might ask, didn't you just say that Rahab, a prostitute, participated in the heinous acts uh, and the sinful acts of Jericho? So how can a holy and just God let her sin go unpunished? On what basis, therefore, does the Lord forgive her sins? Well, let's take a step back again and look at how Rahab's story fits into God's big story. Remember, the bad news came in tandem with the good news in Genesis 3. Having looked at the bad news, let's look now at the good news. Before God pronounced judgment on Adam and Eve for their rebellion, he first cursed Satan and declared that he would one day send a son to crush him, defeating death forever. In doing so, this son would be wounded unto death and the shedding of his blood would make atonement for the sins of all God's people and draw them back into right relationship with God. As a sign of this promise, God sacrificed animals and made clothes to cover Adam, Adam's and Eve's nakedness, a temporary atonement for their sins, pointing forward to the eventual fulfillment of God's promise. 
Now, when Rahab pleaded for pardon, she asked for a sign from the spies that would prove their intention to spare her. They gave her a scarlet cord, a bright, brilliant red piece of rope to hang in the window facing out of the wall and promised her that all who remained in her home would be spared. This sign hearkened back to God's rescue of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. When before he executed judgment on Israel, he gave them a sign. Excuse me, judgment on Egypt. He gave Israel a sign. He instructed the people to sacrifice lambs and spread their blood on the doorposts to ensure death did not visit their households. The author of Hebrew commends Moses' trust in God to save Israel. Just before commending Rahab in verse 31, he wrote in verse 28 of chapter 11, By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You see, Rahab trusted in the same promise and sign and thus the same God as Moses and all God's people. Rahab's scarlet cord, Moses' Passover lamb, and the skins that covered Adam and Eve all pointed forward to Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, In turning to Yahweh for salvation, Rahab ultimately turned to Jesus, whose name means Yahweh saves. And so she ultimately received pardon for her many sins on the basis of faith in Jesus' perfect life and sacrificial death. And as we know, Jesus did not stay dead. On the third day, he rose from the grave, proving that his work and sacrifice were truly satisfying to God and securing our hope for eternal life. If we step back one more time to look at the big narrative of the Bible, we see that that's where Rahab's story is pointing us, eternity. Rahab's longing for salvation and life in a new and better city speaks to that longing in the heart of every believer for Jesus' glorious return when the trumpets will blast and he will rescue his people from the fallen world, judge the wicked, and create a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 assures us that on that day we will live in the holy city, New Jerusalem, and behold, the dwelling place of God will be with man. He will dwell with us, and we will be his people. And God himself will be with us as our God. Any other believers here tonight are listening. This same eternal hope and salvation is near and available to you now. Rahab's story demonstrates the Lord's great and everlasting love. As we'll sing in just a few moments, he welcomes the weakest, the vilest, and the poor into his family. Every believer in this room is evident of that, evidence of that. Indeed, Matthew's gospel points out that Rahab, the once prostitute and foreigner, is not only the distant grandmother of King David, but King Jesus himself. What a gracious and merciful God. So I plead with you, unbelieving friend, plead with you to recognize your need. Abandon your futile walls. Open your gates and plead with the Lord for pardon. 
a pardon based on the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Heed the words of Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to Yahweh that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will, be, he will abundantly pardon. As we close, let's circle back to where we began tonight. As we reflect on Rahab's living faith, consider some, of the, uh, some other worthwhile New Year's resolutions. One, hold fast to your faith. As Rahab tightly held to the scarlet cord that symbolized her promise of salvation, Christian, hold even tighter this year to Jesus and his cross, whether in trials or joys. Two, share your faith. Rahab warned her family of the coming destruction, sharing the truth that Yahweh alone saves. Those found in her home held just as tightly to the same scarlet cord that is Jesus. Christian, do as Rahab did. Practice hospitality, welcoming the hopeless into your homes and serving as salt and light to a lost and dying world. Three, live your faith. In helping the spies and turning, to, uh, and turning to God, Rahab bravely rejected the wicked culture of Jericho. She could have reported the spies for earthly gain and or social status. But she knew the futility in serving a morally and eternally bankrupt society and the reward of serving the true king. Christian, stand fast like Rahab. The world may persecute you or uh, accuse you of being on the wrong side of history for your faith in and obedience to Jesus. But remember that history is his story, and he has already won. Better yet, cling to Revelation 21 and remember that you are on the right side of eternity. Will you pray with me? Lord, we praise you. For though our sins are many, your mercy is more. Grant your people to live joyfully and obediently in the light of this truth. And grant unbelievers to marvel at such love and turn to you in faith. In the name of Jesus, amen. Brothers and sisters, we close this Lord's Day by reflecting on...